Hello, everyone. This is Scott Reichel, and this is the Betting Barrier Podcast on the Bleed Podcast Network, the Bay Area's number one sports podcast network. The only place of the show for every team in the Bay Area and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're also available in your favorite directory, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Reichel Radio. On this week's show, we're going to recap the Golden State Warriors NBA Finals victory over the Boston Celtics from a betting perspective, and also recapping their overall playoff run. But before we do all that, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on the football field once again. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more props, odds, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football-related. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back, everyone, to the Bed and Maria podcast. Now, before we went on break, we previewed what we are doing for this week's show. Once again, talking about the Warriors and recapping their championship run through the postseason. But before we actually start the recap, I do have to make one announcement. I am aware I said last week we would be doing a baseball episode for this week and we were done with the NBA, but I reconsidered it. I figured since we are covering Golden State since the start of the season, it was only fair to get into the recap and send Golden State off in the right way. They won a title. I'm going over it. If you're upset about that, sorry, but I feel like it kind of needs to be done. So to go through our actual betting picks for last week we ended up sweeping the board we went 2-0 and we gave out predictions for game six and a hypothetical game seven but based on our predictions we had golden state to win game six and the under so we didn't need a game seven and we swept when 2-0 in game six and the game went exactly the way that i thought it would i thought boston would get off to a pretty decent start in the first quarter they did then golden state respond at the end of the first quarter into the second quarter and open up a nice double digit lead into the half Boston made a couple of, I'd say, desperation runs, which cut the game to around eight or nine. But for the most part, it was kind of over after Golden State's massive run to end the first quarter. And when you enter the second half with a 15-point lead, you're going to win that game a lot of the time. Now, to go through the overall series, we absolutely crushed it. Going into the series, we had Golden State in six, and we had Curry to an MVP. Uh, Warriors in six, I believe, was five to one. Curry to win MVP was even money. Cash both of those. And personally, I had a very nice victory with the Warriors as the final leg of a three-pick parlay that I placed back in November. And that paid out at roughly 41 to one. So it was a very great just overall finals for us. And I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, but we absolutely crushed it. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'm sure you made a lot of money betting on Golden State in the playoffs. But we're going to go through the overall series first, go through some takeaways, what were the, I'd say, defining moments, and who potentially is at fault for Boston's loss. Then we'll go through some of the key moments for the playoffs, and then wrap it up with talking about some offseason plans. Since you do have the NBA draft on Thursday night, and Golden State is picking at this point in time in the first round. So we'll go through some potential candidates there for what Golden State can do. But to start off with the NBA Finals, of course, Curry was amazing in every game besides game five. 
Uh, Curry, of course, played lights out basketball in game four. Then game five came around. He went 0 for 9 from three. Golden State won the game anyway. But Golden State really relied on Curry, as they should, for every other game. And he came through, which is why Curry won finals MVP. Good for him. Klay Thompson, game six, Klay did not show up. He was awful. But he did have a couple of good games. For example, game five, he picked up a lot of the slack as he went seven for 14, five for 11 from three. So he did have a couple of moments where he definitely played well. For the most part, though, pretty disappointing series from Clay, and we'll see if a full offseason of preparation will get him back on track more consistently for the upcoming season. But to go through the main takeaways besides Curry, Draymond bounced back, had a very solid game five, game five and game sixes, and I have to give him props. You know, he dealt with a lot of media criticism, especially after the two games in Boston. And he came back, game five, had eight, seven, and six. And then in game six, had a double-double, almost a triple-double. But he was amazing in game six. So shout-out to Draymond for getting himself back on track and for helping Golden State win the title. He was a plus 16 in game six. He finished with 12, 12, and eight with two blocks and two steals. So Draymond got back on track. Nice job for him. And the other person we got to mention, the runner-up for finals MVP, Andrew Wiggins, who was amazing throughout the entire series, especially on the glass. There's really not much that needs to be said. He played 44 minutes in a closeout game. That's how valuable he was to this team. And Golden State would not have won a title without him. He was that good. And he's going to get himself paid a lot of money in the future. He deserves it. Props to him for shaking off the underachieving number one pick reputation and for being probably the second best player on a title team throughout the title run. But shout out to Wiggins. And now to transition over to Boston, there's a lot to go through because they really didn't do a lot right after game three in this series, or I should say the first half of game four. But we got to talk about the turnovers and particularly Jason Tatum. Tatum set the all-time record for most turnovers in a single playoffs. Some of that was circumstantial because Boston did have game sevens against Milwaukee and Miami and six games against Golden State. They also swept against – they swept the Nets in the first round, so they only played four games there. So based on the overall number of games, they did play a decent amount of them, especially since the first round used to be three out of five. But Boston only played four games in the first round anyway, so I can't really use that as an excuse. He was just bad. There's really no way around it. Tatum, especially in game six, no-showed. He went six for 18 with five turnovers. And if you want to go through the turnovers for each individual game, they're not good. Uh, Tatum turned the ball over a lot. And we'll go through each individual game right now. Starting with, we'll go backwards and then work from there. Game six, he had five turnovers. Game, uh, game five, he had four. Game four, he had six. Game three, he had two. Game two, he had four, and game one, he had two. So he had at least two turnovers in every game, had at least four turnovers in each of the last three games and four of the last five. He averaged 3.8 turnovers per game. His shooting was also atrocious. He only shot 53.8% from the line, zero free throw attempts in game six, which is embarrassing. 41.8% from three. He was good from three, but only shot 36.2% from the floor. So he was awful around the rim and in long two-point range. And I know he's only 24 years old, but when you're supposed to be in the conversation 
for being a top 10 player, especially after he outplayed Durant in the first round. He had a very brutal finals, and hopefully it's a learning experience for him, and he bounces back. But for the sake of this series breakdown, Tatum accomplished more harm than good for Boston, and he was a big reason why Golden State won the title. Now to go through the other players, Jalen Brown was up and down. He also had turnover issues, but he did have 34 points in game six. So I really can't criticize Brown. It seemed like he was one of the only people who showed up in game six. It was really Brown and Horford. That was basically it. Robert Williams, of course, was injured for the majority of the series. He did have 10 points and five blocks in game six. So Williams, I can't really criticize either. He played through injury. I thought he looked very good when he was on the court. I think you could argue he was the most important player on Boston's team for the entire finals because of his defensive impact. But Marcus Smart, after several good games in a row, went back to being awful. Uh, nine points, nine assists. Uh, the assists were there, but once again, he shot four for four. He shot four for 12 from the floor. Smart's a very streaky shooter. The fact that Boston wasted several good games in a row from him offensively was a bad sign. And Smart's streakiness kicked in again, and he had negative regression, and he was not very good in game six. And Horford, 19 points, 14 rebounds. Horford, though, was kind of creating a sandwich in the overall series. He was very good in game one. He was very good in game six, and he basically did nothing in games two through five. So he started strong. He ended strong, but he really was a non-factor for the majority of the series in the middle portion. So I do wonder what Boston's going to do for the upcoming season. Horford is in an expiring, so they might end up trading him. Marcus Smart maybe gets traded. We're not exactly sure there. I know he was rumored to, for, to be traded earlier in the season before Boston fully turned it around. But at the end of the day, the issue with Boston, the offense wasn't good enough. And I know Tatum wasn't great, and Brown had moments where he was bad too. I just do not believe Marcus Smart can be a starting point guard on a championship team. He takes way too many bad shots. And with the contract of four years, $76 million, that's – uh going to be rough. He's under contract until 2026. Maybe Smart can get moved. I'm not sure. I think Smart's a pretty good player. I think he's overrated, and I think that he's going to hurt his team a decent amount of the time because of how many questionable shots he takes. And he was actually pretty good in the finals, so I'll give him props, but I don't trust him consistently to be the third best scorer on a team. I also don't trust him being on a team with Brown and Tatum because they need the ball in their hands a lot and smart as a spot up shooter. Not great. So I'm not a big Marcus smart guy to go through everything else. You have Horford who is currently in the final year of his four year, $109 million deal. I'm not sure him and Robert Williams can coexist in the same starting lineup. Horford was more aggressive in game six but the issue was he really did not attempt many shots throughout the series besides games one and six, and he had smaller players matched up on him for a decent portion of the series, and he was too passive. I don't think he's aggressive enough, and Robert Williams, we know, is not exactly able to create his own shots. So I'm not sure if Williams and Horford can coexist. Once again, they made the finals. So I'm not telling you to blow the whole team up, but I do think they were pretty fortunate that the Eastern Conference was relatively weak. I think they would have lost to Milwaukee if Middleton was healthy. Probably would have lost in five or six. But, of course, I'm not going to blame Boston for beating up on an injured team. And Miami also was a bit banged up. That series won seven. Really shouldn't have. Boston should have closed it out in six. But 
That one seven. Boston made the finals. I get it, but that team needs to make some moves. And if they stay complacent, they will not make the finals next year. So keep that in mind. But to go through Golden State, I mentioned the finals breakdown. Now we got to go through the overall playoffs breakdown. They had a very easy ride against Denver. They had a very competitive game four loss there on the road. Bounced back, closed it out at home. And that's really the main takeaway that I had from Golden State, which was whenever they ended up blowing one chance to close out a series, they always responded the game after. And they really were good at closing the door. They had a couple games to play with because the Warriors never faced elimination at any point in the postseason run. And they were good at closing out series. And I have to give them props for it. But Denver, not a great team. A couple of close games in there. But Denver won. At Denver, I'd say won a moral victory, taking a game off Golden State with no Murray and no Porter. But in reality, Denver, without its two of its three best players, had no chance. And when Will Barton's taking a bunch of shots late in the fourth quarter, you're probably screwed. And Golden State won that series in four. Then they played Memphis. I know Memphis was the hot upset pick in that series. I was feeling Golden State, especially after Memphis basically lost to Minnesota 5-1. But Minnesota punted so many games in that series, Memphis won in six. But I was not impressed by the Grizzlies in that first-round series. And I figured Golden State would take advantage of the, I'd say, young Memphis roster. I'm trying to think of a better word, but I feel like young or inexperienced is the perfect word to use for Memphis because they were a bit full of themselves and they tried to crown themselves as being the new West Coast or I should say West Western Conference darling team, but they'd never been there before and they looked like it because late in games, they really did not look good. I know Morant ended up getting hurt. He did a great job carrying the Grizzlies to a nice win there in game two when he went absolutely off and he ended up having a ridiculous 47-point game. Then Golden State, of course, responded. First of all, that was the biggest moment for me with Klay Thompson was the shot that he ended up hitting to give him the lead in game one of that series. I know he missed the two free throws. You can argue he also blocked Morant on that scoop layup at the end of regulation. So that was the best moment from Klay in my book the playoffs then they killed them in game three won that game by 30 then Morant got hurt of course at the end of that game they won a very close game in game four very ugly game they came from behind and they won then they got absolutely buried by 39 which is one of the weirdest games I've ever seen how often do you have a championship team losing by 50 plus points in the playoffs I don't know if it's ever happened before but I guarantee you if it's happened it's probably happened like twice So Golden State responded there after that no-show by winning at home. Looney had his insane 20-plus rebound game, and they closed it out. Then they faced off against Dallas, which was a bit of a lucky break. I know people can argue Phoenix was fraudulent. Phoenix was still the best team in the West the entire regular season. And Dallas, I still don't think was very good. I think Dallas was a nice story. They were a very streaky three-point shooting team. I think they really just took advantage of a Phoenix team that was in the middle of self-destructing and a Chris Paul potential quad injury or however you want to read into it. But Phoenix kind of imploded and handed the series over to Dallas. And Golden State did what Dallas wanted to do, but better. Because Dallas liked to go small, and Golden State is the NBA history masters of going small. And Dallas really never stood a chance. So Golden State won that series in five. And then going through the finals, as we said before, 
Golden State dealt with its first adversity in the postseason run, trailing 2-1. to one, And they responded with a Curry masterpiece, followed by, you know, of course, three straight wins to close out the series with the Celtics kind of imploding because of how good Golden State's defense was, especially at pressuring the ball and forcing a bunch of turnovers. So that's overall my breakdown. I'm not going to grade the Warriors season. It's obviously an A-plus. You win the title, you're getting an A-plus. There's only no other way to break it down. I'm happy for Curry getting his first finals MVP. It was the one thing missing on his resume, so to speak. And the fact that Golden State proved they could win a title without Durant again is very big for the public perception of the dynasty that Golden State has. And hopefully they can repeat next season. But that's going to transition us to the offseason moves. And according to the front office, their main priority is, of course, to bring everybody back. Now, if you want to talk about what everybody means, I think the front office actually means everybody, including the actual, I'd say, scrubs or the, I'll try to be more polite, the bench warmer, so to speak. It does seem like Golden State wants to bring everybody back. Now, that's easier said than done. Usually you see a lot of players take some discounts to keep the whole band together. But to go through the actual contracts here, you have Draymond, who is under contract for another year and a half, half meaning you have an option. But you have a bunch of role players, Bialiksa, Damian Lee, Toscano Anderson, Gary Payton II. And yeah, my I guess one underrated question, you also have Otto Porter, Andre Godala, Kevon Looney. But they're paying Sean Livingston $666,000 for this past season. Does he get a ring? I know that sounds like a stupid question, but if you're paying his salary, does he get a ring? Probably not, but I am kind of curious about that. But the point is, looking at the actual players that Golden State wants to bring back, it seems like they mentioned Anderson and Lee and Bialiksa and Porter and all these guys. I don't want to sound harsh. I don't think Golden State should bring all of them back. I think if you want to go priority list, I think Otto Porter earned himself a spot. He can play a little bit of small ball four off the bench. I would keep him. Gary Payton the second, lock him up. You need him. He's a great, great defensive player. So he, for me, is a must-resign. I think he's priority number one when it comes to the overall offseason checklist. Kavon Looney's an interesting piece because he got paid roughly $5.1 million. He had a couple of good spots there. But with Wiseman coming back from injury next year and the fact that a lot of free agents tend to take less money to actually play for the championship team or for a shot to ring chase, I'm not sure what Looney would demand for a contract, and I'm not sure what he's worth. I know defensively he had some moments where he was good, mostly in the Dallas series. Rebounding-wise, he was very good. He had a lot of really dumb fouls in that Boston series. But it depends on what he wants. Like, do I think if Looney's requesting $10 million, should you re-sign him? No, Looney's not worth $10 million. So I do think you can find a veteran center off the street who could help fill that void and, you know, help save you some money in the process. So Looney, I'm not sure if you should re-sign. Bialiksa, hell no. He got paid $2 million. I wouldn't bring him back. I don't really know what he did on the team besides be a backup center out of necessity. But assuming Wiseman can stay healthy, knock on wood, and assuming that you have a center in place, Draymond's your end-of-game center anyway. Bielitsa gives you nothing. Like, I don't really know why you would bring him back. I think that he's expendable. 
and you can find another replacement guy for him, potentially on a veteran minimum. Damian Lee, you're paying him 1.9. I know Warriors fans hated him throughout the regular season because he came in and was awful half the time. Had a couple of moments in the playoffs where he was okay. But for the most part, do you need Damian Lee back? Not really. And Toscano Anderson, I think he was a pretty good regular season player. He barely saw the court in the playoffs. And when he did, you knew the game was already over. So I don't really think you need to bring him back either. But once again, to go through the priority list, you have Gary Payton II as the clear-cut number one priority guy you have to re-sign. And then you get into the Looney discussion. I don't think you really need him back. Damian Ali, if he wants another like 1.9 million, maybe you bring him back because he's young and he knows the system. But you can probably find better options in free agency for the minimum. And the interesting part here is Iguodala, who has a well, and well, I can't even say expiring. His contract expired. He got paid 2.6 million dollars this past season. He barely saw the court in the playoffs. And I guess the question you have, Iguodala has been a franchise legend for this team because whether he deserved it or not, he won a finals MVP. Should you pay him to keep the chemistry and basically give him a Udonis Haslam role? Now, Haslam had, I'd say, a pretty interesting situation going with the Celtics series where he was on the bench, he never played, but he always spoke his – he always ran his mouth – talked about what his team needed to do. And he kind of spoke like he was a veteran leader on the team because he is, but you're basically keeping a guy on the roster who's never going to play. So I'm not sure if Iggy's going to officially retire or not. And the Warriors are going to bring him back as a coach or they'll bring him back like a Haslam for a one year deal, give him the minimum and just let him try to, you know, inspire the team through practices and through just, pep talks on the bench we saw how much his presence meant for Wiggins because it seemed like he really took Wiggins under his wing and that worked out well I am curious if Iguodala is going to retire or not or if he's going to take another one-year deal for the minimum but we'll see what happens there I'm not sure if Iguodala wants to actually get paid I don't think the Warriors should pay him serious money I think he's worth the minimum at best and I'm assuming they'll work out some type of deal but That's kind of my thoughts for the actual free agency and the overall contracts. If you want to go through some potential draft scenarios, the question is what position does the, what position do the Warriors actually need? Of course, center is going to be the de facto answer, especially if you let Looney walk. I don't know if you want to fully throw in your center rotation with Wiseman and a rookie. That seems a bit dangerous, but Golden State has the 28th pick. You can make arguments for taking a very talented, maybe a backup point guard. If you want to go that route, Curry, of course, is getting up there in years. I don't know if you want to find a guy to replace Kyoza. Maybe you limit Curry's minutes in the regular season before bringing him for a large workload in the playoffs. When it comes to centers, there's really only Walker Kessler, who's been rumored to go in that area. You can argue maybe Coloco from Arizona, who I think is just going to be a second-round pick. But when it comes down to it, you can argue maybe if he slides an EJ Liddell type, if you want to get somebody who's a Draymond type build, but as a backup, I think that's an option there, especially with Draymond missing some time with injury for the last couple of years. You can take some shots with some wing depth. If you want to go with Bochamp, who has some potential there out of the G League, 
uh, Max Christie, maybe a Kennedy Chandler as a backup point guard. You have Terry out of Arizona, who is a six foot seven kind of point guard shooting guard hybrid. But when it comes down to predictions, I wouldn't surprise me if Golden State trades the pick. There's been rumors that they are considering trading back, maybe for cash considerations. I'm not sure. And a future pick, of course. But Golden State's in that rare situation where they're a championship team that has most, if not all, of the core under contract. And they've also managed to blend the veterans with the youth on the roster. So Golden State's in a very good spot. Now, a lot of it's going to come down to how Curry and Thompson age over the next couple of years, and Draymond, of course. But the point is Golden State's in a good spot. Drafting players is kind of just getting some icing on the cake or a cherry on the top, maybe a diamond in the rough to bring it off the bench. But when I mentioned the likes of potentially getting rid of Damian Lee, getting rid of Bielixa, getting rid of Toscano Anderson, I think they're going to bring all of them back. But if they decided not to, I do think there's a cheap alternative to take a Bochamp or a Jalen Hardy if he fell, a DeLon Terry, any of these guys who could replace the bench warmers on the championship team, which could be an improvement. And that's kind of what I'm looking at. But overall, great season for Golden State. It's the first time since I've been working for Believe that a team that we cover has won the title. We were close with the Niners in the NFC title game this past year, and we had them in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. But they finally got over the hump, and we can say we covered a championship-level team, which is pretty cool. But that's been this episode of the Bed and Barry podcast. We'll go back to baseball next week. And other than that, though, I'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.